Morning, everybody. How's it going today? Good, awesome. Good to see you guys. I want to say good morning to our friends in the block over there in the family room. Good to see you guys. Yeah, a little cheer for those guys. Awesome. Oh, you're cheering back. Thank you very much. I like that. You, and you guys overlook really nice today. Yeah, I didn't hear that. Okay. Anyway, hey, so I'm glad you guys are all here, both rooms. I'm glad you're here. We got just, in, for in this room, if you don't know this, we have uh, another venue over in the block that's uh, kind of family-oriented. We call it the family room. It meets every weekend at 1045 on Sunday morning. So if you, you, know, if you like having your children with you during service, that might be a place to check out. Or if you like a little smaller venue, that might be helpful to you. So just so you know about that. Good? All right. So I missed you the last couple weekends. I now have another son-in-law. Yeah. Hmm. So, so my younger daughter, yeah, I don't know. It's, I'm just trying to get used to this whole thing. It's weird. You know, I love my son-in-law, but it's weird. And uh, so I got my daughter married, and that was all cool, beautiful. I brought pictures. All the men are like, whatever, I don't really care about that. So, men, I'll get back to you. Ladies, I'm, I'm going to show the pictures anyway, whether you want to see them or not. So here's the bride. Good job. And here's with her daddy. Awesome. And here's the other guy. And this is them leaving me. (laughs) There's stuff they don't tell you about weddings. There's stuff they don't tell you about your daughter getting married and then leaving you. They don't talk about that part. It hurts. (sighs) So anyway, it was a delightful time. Wedding was beautiful. And then they move away. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it was awesome. So, which means I can't stop talking about it. So, anyway. So, really, really cool. They uh, had a little honeymoon, came back, spent last weekend with us, and then Monday morning, they packed their, her stuff up in both their cars and then drove away. Los Angeles. Disneyland. Yeah, and so you guys, and so you guys in the family room, Bethany was one of you guys there, so I know you're missing her as well. She would say hi, so, but she's not there today, so, all right, that's all I have to say about that. <sighs> Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, you're good all the time, and you love us, and we love you back, and that's why we're here together today, and so I have this deep desire, Lord, that you would shape us to be like you that you would shape us with all the joy and peace and grace that comes from believing in Jesus. And Lord, there are people in our rooms today who are struggling with faith, and I pray that you'll draw them towards you. There are some who are struggling to live in your grace, and I pray that you would open up that door for them. Lord, there are some who are struggling with... uh, challenges like legalism and perfectionism and thinking that they need to do it all right and thinking that they need to get everybody else to do it all right and Lord you have grace for us and I pray that you would pour that on on us today and I pray that you would lead us in the path that you have for us in this leg of our journey with you and with one another Lord we seek you out through Jesus our amazing savior amen 
So we have spent the last six weeks together talking about the book of Galatians. If you're new to church or you're new to the Bible, you might not know kind of how it's set up and what it's about, but there's a part of the Bible called the New Testament. In there, a lot of what's written was written by way of letters. And so the Apostle Paul, in this case, was writing a letter to some churches, a group of churches in a region that was then called Galatia. It's now called Turkey. And so he's writing those churches and he was writing this letter to specific to these churches in a specific place and a specific time, and they lived in a specific culture. And those things shaped them, and it shaped the things that they needed Paul to write to them about. So he writes them a letter for that time. Now, our responsibility and our privilege as Christ followers 2,000 years later is we get to go back to those letters, like the letter to the Galatians, and we get to say, now, God, what did that mean to them? And what will it, how will it apply to us? The meaning that it was for them means the same thing today. The meaning doesn't change, but the application, because life changes, because culture changes and times change, the applications may look different over time. And so we've got to figure out what those things are and how it works. And so we've spent the last six weeks kind of walking this through together, and this is the last weekend of this series. Next week we start some new things, and I'll tell you about that a little bit, but... Um, Today, I want to just do a little bit of a summary of where we've come from and just kind of get us all back up to speed. I know it's been summer. I know we've been in and out and stuff like that. So I want to get us back up to speed as we wrap up this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. So uh, if you have your Bible and you want to follow along with this Galatians, we're going to end up in Galatians 5 and 6, but let me just kind of get you started with a little bit of background, okay? So when we come to the scripture, we're saying, God, how do you want to transform me? How do you want to transform us? How do you want to shape our lives these days and through this book that we're reading? And so we walk through these chapters. So chapter one, Paul says to the Galatians, you know what, you guys? I remember when I was with you and I've heard some things about you. I know that you strongly love Jesus and that's awesome. But I also know that you've been disrupted by legalists who have come in among you. And here were these people, they were Jewish teachers, and they came into the Christian churches there at Galatia, and they were saying, hey, it's fine to follow Jesus. It's great to love Jesus, but that's not all there is. They said, you also have to keep the law. And Paul writes this letter to say to them, no, 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 they, they missed the point about who Jesus was. Jesus came to set us free from the burden of the law. Chapter 1 says, okay, I know these people came in, they want you to follow the law, and they've disrupted your faith, they've disrupted your love journey with Jesus. Then in chapter 2, Paul uh, tells us, uh, now here's what Jesus has done. Because of the death of Christ, he set you free from the law. In fact, Paul gives us his 41-word story. We've talked a lot in the last few weeks about our 41-word story. A lot of you have written yours. A lot of you have sent your story to me or posted it for us on the table or online, Man, I've been so encouraged by your stories. I'm amazed. Sometimes I talk to people who are followers of Jesus, and they go, oh, I don't really have a story. And I'm like, well, everybody who wrote one had one. And all of you who are followers of Jesus who haven't written one, you have one too. I would so encourage you to write it out. And if you can get it in 41 words, just the discipline of that is amazing. But here's Paul's 41-word story. He says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Man, that summarizes Paul's heart. That summarizes his journey and his story, and it's amazing. And he says, we've been set free 
from the law. Now, he goes on in chapter 3 and he says, let me give you a little, let me give you a little um, equation, kind of a mathematical equation. This is in honor of my daughter, the mathematician. So he gives us a little equation in a lot of words. I'm going to summarize it down for us. He says, here's the deal. If you want salvation, if you want to have a, an eternal relationship with God, unbroken, undamaged, here's the equation. Faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. Faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing equals salvation. That's the equation. And so many times we want to add to it. And these teachers who are disrupting the Galatians and their walk with Christ, they wanted to add to that. Paul said, no, that's all it is. Faith in Jesus plus nothing. Then we talked about chapter four, this whole idea of what God has done for us. You know, you get into situations in your life, you'll, you'll know this, you'll recognize this, uh, even if you weren't with us that weekend, but you get into situations in your life and the choices that you make end up crushing you. Because we choose sin a lot. We choose to walk away from God a lot. We choose to go our own way and be our own God a lot. And every time we choose that path, It crushes us. And sometimes other people make choices that affect our lives. And when they make choices that are not in line with God's heart, those can crush us. And so I brought an aluminum can up that week and we talked about this and I stomped on it and said, that's what our life feels like sometimes, remember? And because we choose to walk in sin, it's like our life is crushed, but faith in Jesus Christ uncrushes the can. It restores what was broken. If in your life today you're, you're moving through life, but it's mostly a slog because you feel like your life has been crushed, faith in Jesus Christ uncrushes the can. And you have to know that. Now Paul goes on in chapter 4 and he talks about some other things that are helpful to us and things that we need to know. Like for instance, man, you didn't care about the wedding pictures, but how about this? You don't have to get circumcised. That was only women laughing, which means the men are nervous about, you know. So anyway, that you don't, you don't, you're not under the law. You don't have to follow all the circumcision rules and all those things. And all the old classifications that used to divide us no longer divide us. They used to have this Jew versus Gentile thing, and it divided them. He says, in Christ, we are no longer divided. Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ. We used to have this thing where slaves and free people could not be together because their, their status in life, their economic status divided them. Paul says, in Christ, we're not divided any longer. Those old classifications don't divide us. Male and female, those old classifications, they don't divide us. And sure, they're still male and female, but we are one in Christ. And all those old classifications are removed. And then in chapter 5, we find again, we no longer have to try and be perfect. That's why Paul said in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're no longer under the burden of trying to be perfect. We're no longer under the burden of trying to make sure that everybody else does it perfectly. We are free. 
He says in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And I love last week and then the week before that, Libby and Sean talked to us about those kinds of issues. You're free in Christ. And how amazing is that? And that brings us up to today. And I want to read one passage of Galatians that summarizes the whole book. And then we're going to move on to the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6. I love it when the Bible comes to a summary statement. Because frankly, sometimes when I read the Bible, it's, a, it's big. You know, sometimes when I read the Bible, it's like, there's a lot of stuff. I'm like, Jesus, if you could just make it a little simpler for me, I could, I could dial this in a little bit better. And so every now and then, you'll come to a place in Scripture where it summarizes everything. So here in chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, Paul gives a summary or kind of a synopsis of his whole letter to the Galatians. Here's what he says. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There's a great summary of the whole story of the Bible. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. That is freedom. That is such good news, isn't it? I mean, I love, for me, I love this. We no longer have to be rule-keeping, legalistic perfectionists who judge everybody around us for not doing it right, including ourselves. That's so freeing. Or let me put it, let me put it more personally. I no longer have to be a rule-keeping, legalistic perfectionist who judges everybody around me for not doing it right, including me. That's amazing. But of course, the Pharisees among us would say, well, what's the point of religion then? I mean, if you can't judge people and be legalistic about the whole thing and keep all the rules, if you can't follow all the rules, you don't even have to, what's the point of religion? Or what's the point of faith? Or what's the point of church? Or what's the point of having a relationship with God? What's that all about? And that's what Paul gets to in the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6, and I want us to see it. He says, by grace through faith, God wants to transform every single one of us from whatever we were before Christ, without Christ, into what Christ has for us. He wants to transform us from legalists, if that's who we were, to what Christ has for us. He wants to transform us from perfectionists, if that's what we were, to what Christ has for us. And as he describes these things in chapter 5 and chapter 6, 11 times... Paul talks about the Holy Spirit of God over and over and over. Besides the word the, the most common word in these last two chapters, I think is the word spirit. God's spirit, he wants to get something about God's spirit. What he's trying to get to is he wants us to know that we are free in Christ to live a spiritual life. Now let me just stop with that and think about that for a second. A spiritual life. When I was... Growing up back in the 60s and 70s, I know that seems like, like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but <laughs> some of you can relate. So, I, so I'm growing up, and, and there, was a, there was a 
trajectory that our world was on that said, look, we've gone through the industrial revolution. We've got all this scientific knowledge. We're expanding our knowledge so fast. We're getting so technologically advanced that talk of a spiritual life diminished. In the middle of the last century, we've got to this place where people said, you know what? Technology is going to overcome all talk of religion. We're not going to talk about religion anymore. We're not going to talk about God anymore. We're not going to have to talk about spirituality anymore. And writing about the soul decreased. Nobody talked about the soul anymore. We talked about the psyche, which we thought was all scientific. Until you go back and you realize the word psyche is just the Greek word for soul. And they stopped writing about the spirit. We, talked, we stopped talking about spiritual things. We thought, oh, we're going to get beyond that because we're modern, which we thought meant we were brilliant. What's happened as the level of technology has increased, though, in our world is there has been an increase in a desire and a thirst for spiritual life. We want it. We want to have a spiritual connection. And yet it's confused because a lot of people have different ideas about what it means to be spiritual. Right? I mean, do I have to sit in a lotus position? Do I have to get, what if I get stuck in the lotus position? Or if I can't get out of the lotus position? You know, do I have to take a pilgrimage to Tibet? Then would I be spiritual? Do I have to meditate? How do I get spiritual? There's all these different kinds of ways and a ton of different definitions about what it means to be spiritual. Here's Paul's definition of what it means to be spiritual. To be spiritual as a follower of Christ, to be a spiritual person means you have a relationship with God's spirit. That's it. It's not, it's not all that mystical. It's not all that mysterious. There are mysterious parts to it, but it's not all that mystical. It's practical. Paul says, I want to give this to you in a practical way. Do you want to be spiritual in your life? then live in a relationship with God's spirit. All the way through chapter five and into chapter six, Paul talks about God's spirit. He says in verse 16, walk by the spirit. Verse 18, be led by the spirit. Verse 22, he talks about the fruit of the spirit. Verse 25, he says, live in the spirit and keep in step with the spirit. It's all about the spirit. I love the last, I love the last metaphor. Keep in step with the Spirit. That's not even hard to understand. How do you live it out? Maybe. But what it means, it's not hard to understand. Keep in step with the Spirit of God. For years, 15 years, my family had a family dog. We called her Zuki the Wonder Dog. She could leak tall, planter build, tall planters in the backyard in a single bound. She was really amazing when she was young. And when we got her as a puppy, uh, I had the chance to train her. I'd never trained a dog before, never really had a dog before. And so I'm like, I'm going to train this dog. This is going to be fantastic. And this is long before Al Gore invented the internet. So I got a book. Sorry, did I rush that line? Felt like I rushed it a little bit. Anyway, never mind. So, no, so I got this book on training dogs, right? I'm like, okay, I, I want to do this, and there's certain things I want this dog to be able to do and stuff. So one of the things I really wanted the dog to be able to do was to heal. You ever watch a, you ever watch a, a master walking with a dog, and the dog heals? And when the, you know, when the master stops, the dog stops. And when the master walks, the dog walks. I'm like, I'm going to teach my dog to do that. So I read the book and I got it all figured out and it actually happened. The dog actually learned, Zuki learned to heal, more or less. 
No, most of the time more. So it was really cool. We're walking along and she was just stuck to my left leg. And after she got the relationship dialed in, it was really interesting. We'd walk along and I'd look down at her and she'd be looking up at me. She wanted to know she was in the right spot. And she got really good at it. She didn't have to stare at me. She could feel my leg. She could kind of know, oh, just by sensing, oh, he's going to turn. She knew if my left leg went left, she better get out of the way because we're turning left. She'd go left with me. And my left leg kind of moved away from her. She'd move closer. And all of a sudden, we're turning right. She matched her pace to my pace. It's a big ego trip for the master. But it was amazing as we walked together. And the more the relationship between us developed, the less I needed to have a leash around her neck. And the more you develop a relationship with God's spirit through Jesus Christ, the less you need a leash around your neck. The leash was called the law. When you're a follower of Jesus who has a growing relationship with God's spirit, you are not under the law anymore. You don't need a leash anymore in your life. You are free. But you are not free just to go do what you want, just to go do anything. You are free. You've never been free like this. You are free to walk with God's spirit. Before you had this freedom, everything else got in the way. Everything else distracted you. Everything else tempted you. And now you are free to walk in line and step with the Spirit of Christ. It's an amazing freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. The Holy Spirit sets us free. And Paul tells us life in the Holy Spirit is highly practical. We have all these things in our world we go, oh, you know, spiritual living, it's all, it's all mystical and mysterious. Like, well, Paul says there is some mystical stuff about it, but it's, it's just very practical. Often Christians, when they, talk about, when they talk about living a spiritual life, they want to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. If you read the Bible very much, and if you read Galatians chapter 5, there's these two verses, 22 and 23. There's these two verses that talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Libby talked about them last week because it came into that part of the passage and she did a great job discussing those. But a lot of times that's all we focus on when it comes to the Spirit. Oh, you gotta have the fruit of the Spirit. I gotta grow the fruit of the Spirit. I gotta grow them up. Look, the fruit of the Spirit is all nouns. Isn't that impressive? You know, do you remember what nouns are? Yeah, tell me, what's a noun? Person, place, or thing. We all went to school together. Wow, we got that down. You are one. You are a noun. Isn't that amazing? It's awesome. You're sitting in one. All right, a chair is a noun. A person is a noun. Person, place, or thing. That's all cool. And the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, it's all about nouns. In fact, they are abstract nouns. Love. Can we just have one of the men stand up for a minute and explain love to us? Never mind. <laughs> Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He lists nine, but that's just a starter kit. There's more. And sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta grow the fruit of the Spirit. I got to grow these things up in my life. I'm going to have to work harder and get better at becoming more loving and joyful and, you know, all this stuff. We go, it's my responsibility. It's like, well, you didn't read the passage. It's the fruit of the 
Yeah, a little louder. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not my fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit that comes naturally when I'm in a relationship with God's Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit grows naturally in my life. I don't have to sweat it. I don't have to work hard at it. God is not asking you to work hard at developing the fruit of the Spirit. You ever seen an apple tree give birth to an apple? Well, that's a little bit weird metaphor, right? Because that's not how it works. That's how babies come. You give birth to them, and it's all of a sudden painful and messy. Whoa, here it comes. Have a baby go, "Mm," pop that thing out. That's just, it's, sorry, ladies. It's my perspective. I'm a man, so it's faulty, I'm sure. What if apple trees gave birth to apples like that? You could stand next to an apple tree in the fall, and you you could just listen to the apple tree going, Whoa, I have an apple. It would be so exciting, that apple. Now you gave birth to it, and it would be painful and hard, and you have to really work at it. But no apple tree ever works hard to give birth to an apple. It's just a natural function of an apple tree as God designed it. It's got its roots into the soil and it takes the water and the nutrients and it brings forth apples. It just happens. The fruit of the Spirit is not what you do. It's what God gives through you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And when you're in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, a healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit, the natural thing is that Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all those other things, they grow from your life. It's just how it's designed. But living in the Spirit is different. Living in the Spirit is all about verbs. What are verbs? Action words, right? We all got that. Probably didn't get it until you took a foreign language and then you figured it out, but that's what it is, right? Ver- the verbs are action words. So when we talk about living in the Spirit, that's about action words. He talks about, in chapter 5, walk by the Spirit and follow the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. Those are all actions that we do. He says, I want you to practice. I want you to practice living by the Spirit. I want you to practice walking with the Spirit I want you to practice keeping step with the Spirit because when you do those things, the fruit of the Spirit naturally develops in your life. Practice. In fact, I believe Paul's saying spiritual people are practically good. I don't mean like in a Mary Poppins kind of way, you know, practically perfect in every way. It's not like that. I mean they're good practically. They're good in practice because they practice. We practice keeping in step with God's spirit. So Paul says, let me give you some examples of what this looks like. So chapter 6, verse 1, let me just read a little bit of this. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. And then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps 
what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows, here's another verb, whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. There's a lot of examples of things we could live out, a lot of applications we could make. But let me just give you a couple to wrap this up. He says in verse 2, Carry each other's burdens. We are spiritual. We are, we are living spiritually when we carry other people's burdens. There's a big pile of food out in the lobby. Did you see it? You guys in the family room. I don't, I don't notice if we have a bunch of food over there, but we got a bunch here in this building. Bunch of food in the lobby. That's because we said, hey, the food bank is empty and someone needs to help. And there are people in our community who don't have enough food this summer. And what could we do to help? And we said, look, we've got resources. We can go buy some food and bring it and give it to them. We could carry their burden. That's a spiritual activity. Some of you guys are the ones who brought food, Right? And you don't have to take credit for it, but there it is out there because you brought it. That was a spiritual activity. When you brought food, you bore somebody else's burden. And you gave them a gift. And you walked with God's spirit. In my life, these days, I'm wearing this orange bracelet. And uh, it's a, it says, Water, Hope, and Life. I'm doing this. I'm doing this half marathon we've been telling you about for a little while now. Someone got the, br- the bright idea that, you know... Lakesider should run 13 miles. And they talked me into it in a weak moment. But maybe they talked me into it in a moment when I thought, you know what, I'm, I've got friends who live in Africa who don't have water. Don and I sponsor a child in Africa who's got to walk a mile or more to get to the local stream. When she picks up water there, she brings home dirty water back to her family, and that's what they have to drink. They have to boil it to be able to use it. And we thought, well, you know, we have resources. Some of us have bodies that still work enough that they could run. I don't know about 13 miles, but somehow I'm going to run, walk, or crawl across the finish line, and I'm going to do this. And some of you can't run or aren't running, but you can say, hey, I'll support that. That's what it's about. We're going to bear somebody else's burden. We have this great tool here at Lakeside called the table. It's a, it's a social network, which for some of you guys, oh, I don't want to be on that. But, this, but that table, that tool is something where sometimes lakesiders get on there and they say, I have a need and I can't meet this need on my own. And then I'll watch and I'll see some of those pop up and then I go, I can't meet that need. And then an hour later or a day later or something, somebody else gets on the table and they go, I can meet that need. And they bear one another's burdens. It's a gift, and it's spiritual living. It's called keeping in step with the Spirit. In verse 1, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, if you're a perfectionist or you're a legalist, like I tend to be in my, in my weak moments, you would read that and you say, Brothers and sisters, if someone gets out of line, you who live by the Spirit should restore them. And we focus on the crime. We focus on the, on the transgression. We, we focus on the offense. You got into trouble. You got into temptation. And you got out of line. And I got to get you back in line. I'm going to follow the scripture. I'm going to get you back in line. 
But think about this differently. From Paul's perspective, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. It's not that they got out of line. It's that they stepped on a landmine. And the focus is not on the offense. The focus is on the wound. Because when you step on a landmine, you are wounded at best. And those people who come alongside of you are trying to restore you from that wound. The word, the, word, uh, the word restore is a word that means to make something suitable again. We are surrounded by human beings, brothers and sisters in the family of Christ, who step on landmines. And when we do, it wounds us and it wounds other people around us. And Paul's not telling us when that happens to get those people back in line. He's saying, come alongside of those people and restore them and make them suitable for God's purpose again. Make them suitable to serve in Christ's church again. Make them suitable to walk with God's spirit again. Make them suitable to play on God's team again. Bring it in, guys. Go, hustle up. Yo, bring it in, y'all. Hustle up. All right, that's it for today. We have a game tomorrow, so get some rest tonight. Remember, ties and jackets tomorrow. Clay. Mr. Cruz. I'm impressed with what you've done, but you came up short. You owe me 80 suicides and 500 push-ups. Please leave my gym. Thanks, Clyde. Gentlemen, see you tomorrow. I'll do push-ups for him. You said we're a team. One person struggles, and we all struggle. One player triumphs, we all triumph, right? I'll do some. I'll run suicides, too. Sound too. Fine. Let's keep count. Call me when they're done.
legalist counts. The perfectionist counts. And then says, you came up short. Please leave my gym. Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. Jesus, I pray for us today. So grateful that you have given us life by faith in you. And so I desire, Lord, along with my friends here today at Lakeside, I desire that you would shape us. Teach us to walk with you. Teach us to keep in step with you. Teach us to come along and bear one another's burdens because that's a spiritual activity. Teach us to restore those who have been wounded in the battle because that's a spiritual activity. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Make us the kind of people you want us to be. And love this world through us. We pray for your glory and honor through Jesus. Amen.